You may notice a splash of beautiful red and orange and yellow here today, a little insertion into this Easter season where we have had white pyramids. Um, that is what this is called uh, in church speak. A pyramid comes from the Latin word to adorn. And pyramids help us worship God by pointing to things in the scriptures that are going on in the life of Jesus that inform our lives as disciples. We often use red, on, well, we always do on Pentecost, which we celebrate in two weeks from now. We sometimes use red at baptisms and also for ordination. And that goes with the stoles that Adam and I wear as well. So red symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Though we are still in the Easter season, I wanted to bring out the red today because the scripture today gives a powerful uh, story about the Holy Spirit, the gift that it is. Back in John's gospel, while Jesus was still alive, while he was preparing his disciples for his death and for their ministry, just one moment, excuse me. You may remember that Jesus promised that he would not leave them orphaned, that he would send them an advocate, which is the helper, the Holy Spirit of God. So they did not have to be afraid. They would never be left alone. On Pentecost, we saw this promise fulfilled. The disciples were all together and celebrating that festival, and the Spirit descended on them with fire. And today we celebrate a preview of that day of Pentecost. So we bring out the Holy Spirit red and we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is not something that's just one and done nor can it ever be contained. Let us hear the word of God. While Peter was, this is from the book of Acts chapter 10. And we're told that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? He directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited Peter to stay for several days. 
The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They accused him, saying, You went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them? Then step by step, Peter explained all that had happened. This is the word of God for us. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our passage begins in the middle of a story. While Peter is given a sermon, he suddenly is interrupted by an unexpected visitor. And to help us understand what some of what God is up to in this short passage, here is some of the backstory. Peter had just had a visionary experience, a dream, if you will, where a large sheet was lowered from heaven, and this sheet was filled with four-legged animals and wild beasts and reptiles and birds, everything that Jews considered to be unclean for food. Yet Peter heard the voice of God telling him, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter said to the messenger, no way, Lord. Unclean food has never touched my lips. But the Lord replied, never consider unclean what God has made pure. At that very moment, three men from Caesarea arrived And the Spirit told Peter to go with them even though they were Gentiles. So Peter and six of his fellow Jewish Jesus followers went with these visitors. And in Caesarea they entered the home of Cornelius, who at the same time Peter had a vision, also had a vision from God. So just to pause for a moment to consider and remember who the Gentiles were. In the eyes of the Jews, they were ritually, ritually unclean. They did not adhere to Jewish religious or purity laws, so they were considered outsiders. They were not considered part of God's chosen people in the Jewish understanding of being God's chosen people. Now, Caesarea, where Cornelius lived, was the Roman capital of Judea and therefore the very center of Gentile power. As scholar Jerusha Matson Neal points out, Cornelius' household was not just Gentile, it was really Gentile. So no wonder the circumcised Jews, the Jewish Christians there with Peter, were so surprised by Peter's traveling with and even staying in the home of Cornelius. So back to our story. Cornelius, the Roman centurion, was told by an angel to send for a man named Peter, who was staying in Joppa, who would then tell Cornelius and his whole household how to be saved, how to have new life. And Peter did go and did tell. And as he was sharing the story of Jesus Christ, he witnessed the Holy Spirit falling upon Cornelius and all the Gentiles gathered there. And Peter was astonished. And he said out loud, if God gave them the same gift 
he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? In a book entitled Compassion, A Reflection on the Christian Life, authors McNeil Morrison and Nowen describe the difference between full-time and clock time. Clock time we all know, we live with, we experience daily, whether we welcome it or not. It's the time lived by our calendars, our to-do lists, our schedules, our watches, our alarm clocks. Clock time, the author suggests, breeds impatience and always makes us depart and prevents any compassionate being together, they say. And with the sense of urgency that clock time instills, even when we're together, we are often in some ways apart, either still thinking about where we just were, what's left undone, or more concerned about where we need to be next. Full time, on the other hand, is so very different. It's not clock, calendar, or watch time, but it's time lived from within. And it's this full time about which the scripture speaks. All the great events in the gospel occurred in full time. The Apostle Paul writes about this from his own experience. In his letter to the church of the Galatians, He writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent the Son in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And as God's children, God has sent the Spirit of Christ into our lives. It was in the fullness of time that Paul, on his way to Damascus to persecute the Jewish Christians, was knocked off his horse by the Spirit of Jesus who interrupted Paul's urgent clock time agenda of violent hatred. And the Spirit of Christ exploded into Paul's heart, gave him new vision, and rather than seeking to destroy the Christians, he was led into compassionate togetherness. He was led into God's hospitality. And Paul would go on to lead many more into the same. And in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes, With all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, set forth in Christ according to his good pleasure, as a plan for the fullness of time to bring together, to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And now here in Acts, the fullness of time occurs as the Holy Spirit, as if watching the clock, grows weary as Peter preaches on and on. And though Peter's preaching the saving good news of the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit interrupts him, revealing, in the words of the biblical scholar Ralph Jacobson, the consequence of Easter which is the Spirit of Christ alive, active, all the time, falling all over and upon the least expected people in least expected ways and times and places. And the consequence of the Easter work of the Holy Spirit has consequences for us 
and for all of God's children. As Peter speaks, the Holy Spirit falls and explodes again into hearts, into minds, and gives new ears and new eyes. And the Gentiles gathered there become believers on the spot. And filled with the Spirit, they begin speaking in spiritual tongues and joyfully start praising God. And Peter and all the circumcised Jews there, the Jewish Christians, are astonished. For up until that full-time moment, these Gentiles did not fit the description of those who believed as those who belong in the kingdom of God. But no one departed. No one set themselves apart from these seemingly outsiders. On the contrary, the consequence of Easter on the lives of those experiencing this full-time moment was compassionate being together. This Easter promise of togetherness brings to us the consequence for our lives as well. We look back at Cornelius and his household, and not only did they invite Peter to stay after they had that full-time moment, Peter stayed for several days. Peter entered into receiving the hospitality of these formerly outsiders. He entered freely into their home. He tasted the flavors of their food. He smelled their aromas. He experienced their music, their way of praying, their way of being family. Full-time, not measured by units of time, but it's the time of healing, of salvation, of community. We have plenty examples in our world today of people groups like the Jews and the Gentiles of first century Palestine who are kept apart by belief systems, by judgment, by assumptions, by fears, by hatred. Right now, violence between the Palestinians and Israelis is the worst it has been in years. In all the world's religions, many are excluded or altogether shunned due to gender identity or lifestyle. In our nation, we are more honestly aware than ever of the effects of structural racism and white supremacy, which perpetuates division, fosters hatred and violence against people of color. And walls have been and still wish to be built in places all over the world, including on our southern border, that would keep the unclean or the perceived dangerous ones far apart. And the political climate in our nation leads to the inclusion-exclusion mentality as we tend to keep company with those who think and believe and vote like us while maybe we tend to avoid those who don't. I wonder right now as we pause together, what other examples can you think of? What other groups are set apart due to non-acceptance or misunderstanding? or differing beliefs, or fear. Take a moment to think about that.
And now how about in your own life more personally, in your own social circles, your workplace, your school, your family? Are there any divisions? Are any hearts or minds closed off, serving to keep you physically closed off from others? At the end of Acts chapter 11, after Peter goes on to explain to those believers in Jerusalem how he came to not only eat with the Gentiles, but stay with them for several days, he concludes his explanation of this by saying, the the author of Acts says, once the apostles and other believers heard what Peter had said, they calmed down. And they praised God and concluded, so then God has enabled Gentiles to have repentance. God has allowed them to change their hearts and lives so that they might have new life also. And friends, it was not only the Gentiles, but this spread to the whole rest of the world. The promise is that anyone who receives the consequence of Easter, the gift of repentance, can and will have new life, and will participate in the Holy Spirit's full time, will be ambassadors of conversion of minds and hearts that more and more might have ever rich, richer and new life. The consequence of Easter is healing and wholeness. And this is for you. This is for me and for all of God's children, all of creation And now I invite us to take another quiet moment to consider how God may be touching your heart and your mind right now. How is the Holy Spirit falling on you, opening you, inviting you to something new, perhaps closer to a strained relationship or to enter a new one? How might God be inviting you to draw closer to people who may not think like you or look like you, believe like you, or live like you? How would God call you into compassionate togetherness today? Not just to offer hospitality, but to take courage, take the risk to receive it, to enter into a home or the experience of someone very different than yourself, to taste their flavors, smell their aromas, enter into the way they pray and sing and share together. And now, how have you experienced firsthand the healing and wholeness brought about by the Spirit's falling, breaking in, opening you or another up? 
Friends, the fervent activity of the Holy Spirit is not one and done. It is ongoing. So today, may we remain interruptible as Peter was. May we remain teachable as the critical fellow Jesus followers were of Peter. That we may let in the spirit that leads us into togetherness, into God's hospitality that heals everything. And may we learn how to stay for several days in full time, not so mindful of clock time, that we might truly rest in the spirit and be gathered up as one as God is doing right now. Thanks be to God. Amen.